I think the most like authentic to the 30s thing about this movie is that Jude Law's a huge prick. <laughs> Sky <laughs> Captain's rude. It, it is it is quite rude throughout. He's a little turkey. Yeah, decidedly rude throughout. Straight cold cocks. Uh, yeah, he yeah. punches Polly Pocket at his one point. Sort of girlfriend. Yeah, or his maybe his 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 girl Friday. Ex- yeah. yeah, yeah. What in the world? Like it's at least the, she gets hers. The band. I she guess. gets a, yeah, hit him back. But like, I don't know that that totally. I don't know. That's a one-to-one correspondence. Yeah, exactly. There, yeah. It's sort of it's like a Gwyneth Paltrow punch. I don't know that that's, it's, you know. What are you trying to say about Gwyneth? You don't want that goop punch. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want that goop punch. I'm sure she, she has Pilates and stuff, this, I'm my, sure. My, yeah. my wager, just in terms of pounds per square inch, is significantly less than what Jude Law could generate. I, it's, that's an assumption it's I'm making. It's so weird. It's so weird. <laughs> There's choices, and I like, you know. Not all choices are good, but at <laughs> least choices they're, they're, were made. They were chosen. Um, hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast, where we gather around a table. We discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course as we continue with our new science fiction, not anti-trash, but real, real trash marathon. We're looking at Sky Captain and the world of tomorrow. Tomorrow. Woo! And we're, we all knew that it was, sound effects were required after I said that. Yeah, it was very necessary. Yeah. We're back in the studio. We as are well. in the studio. Yeah. Yes. It's been like a month. Hi, Ugh. friends. Hey. Hi. Yeah, it's weird how uh, between plague and weather, the world keeps uh, conspiring to keep us apart. Yeah, and yet the world keeps going as well, which is also disappointing. But we'll talk more <laughs> about that <laughs> later. Um, I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I'm still Dalton. And no, my co-host over here is not the evil Dr. Totenkopf, <laughs> as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> I have been dead for 20 years. Um, Beckett, after his big evil monologue, Beckett looks at me and goes, I mean, tell me where he's wrong. <laughs> Real Thanos energy, right? Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. <laughs> well, he's not wrong. The math is there. <laughs> All right. Well, in case you're tuning into the show for the very first time, friends and neighbors, we want you to know that this is an analysis show, not a review show. And that does mean we're going to spoil a movie from the early 2000s. Uh, if you have not. That nobody watched. That nobody watched. Nope. That I've seen in the last 15 years and I entirely forgot uh, before I watched it again. <laughs> so there's that. But nonetheless, um, we'll avoid spoilers the first half of the show. We'll do a synopsis, which is spoiler free, as a synopsis should be. Then we'll move on into. Uh, Quick thumbs up, thumbs down review, so we kind of make it a review show for like a second, and that'll be spoiler light. Then we move into a little game we like to call Expanding the Syllabus, which is going to be spoiler gentle. And finally, hardcore spoilers. That's after we hear the kicky music, knowing that it is business time, and you have been warned about all of that. Spoilers is our business, and business is good. That's right. Hmm. Um, so, with that, Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you have a synopsis for us today? After a mysterious scientist approaches her for fear of his life... Journalist Polly Perkins finds herself in the middle of a global threat. With giant robots attacking New York, Polly finds herself working alongside an old friend and possibly the only man skilled enough to save the world, Joe Sullivan, the Sky Captain. I love that he's big boss for Metal Gear Solid. He's just got like his <laughs> private mercenary army and their little their little island. Yeah, wild. Not something I was prepared for when this movie started. Uh, yeah, it's uh, there. There's there's a lot. <laughs> this um, movie's wild. <laughs> there, uh, it's pretty. Uh, well, well, anyway, we'll we'll do reviews now. I guess that's kind of what we're starting to do. So, um, I've seen it before. Have I, both of you, Arthur, seen it before? Oh no, first time. Virgin viewer, yes. Dalton. Hello. You, get, you get to go first. I remember the media push for this one. I don't know about you guys, but I, I remember like being mar- having this movie marketed towards me. I was like fourteen when it came out, so I was definitely who they wanted in, in, in the seat. 
and uh, they yeah, failed. they failed. And it's it's weird that this movie exists. Uh, you can still go find it. It's it's just it's there. A little artifact of two thousand four. It is a unique little film, that's for sure. It is very much doing this, you know, thirty serial pastiche thing that we'll spend plenty of time talking about today. The thing about that that is interesting is that it doesn't feel embarrassed to be what it is. It is like wholeheartedly, earnestly the thing that it's it's do- homaging, and it doesn't feel like it's got a wink about it at all, and I do appreciate that. Um, I, we've already talked about uh, how awful Jude Law is, and a lot of whether or not you can get on this movie's wavelength is going to be how much can you tolerate the behavior of Sky Captain, because <laughs> he is a pretty dis... Uh, what, how many adjectives can I come up with? Uh, unlikable, disloyal, uh, two-faced little protagonist. <laughs> it's it's a very weird choice that somehow does feel authentic to these serials. He he does make uh, Indiana Jones look like Luke Skywalker uh, as far as like scruffiness goes, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. Again, like we know that this is a part of thirty serials. It's it is a part that doesn't translate well. So all of that preamble out of the way, I will say this this does look pretty incredible. You know, this is va- famously, uh, I guess the, it's it's one cl- calling card. It's claim to fame is that it's the first digital back lot movie. You know, kind of setting the stage for films like Sin City and Three Hundred. Uh, the the as far as uh, I know, it's only got two on location moments, and everything else is uh, blue screen sets. And it's the you know obviously the prequels. Uh, George Lucas was pioneering some of that stuff, but nothing full digital backlot had been done prior to this, as far as I know. And again, everybody's done it. There's European films that have gone digital backlot. Like, obviously, the volume that they use over at Lucasfilm is very much kind of coming uh, at that from a you know technologically more advanced angle. So that's you know for that history, it's just kind of fun to watch in that regard because uh, it it does lend this film a very striking visual palette. They're doing a lot with lighting. You know, I, I kind of like the uh, sepia tone compromise. Clearly a movie that the director wanted to be in black and white. Uh, and I, I think the sepia tone's a nice compromise. Uh, some real nice golden hues going on when the lighting hits just right. Yeah, I, I think this movie looks great. It's sort of a slog in places. Uh, there's great ideas. There's amphibious airplanes. Very cool. There's airplanes that turn into subs. What's not to like? Angelina Jolie's got an eye patch. Uh, she was only there for three days, but she makes the most of her scenes with a very bad accent. Uh, and that's very endearing to me. And maybe one of my favorite Gwyneth Paltrow performances. Uh, I found myself very surprised by how much I liked her in this movie. She quips herself very well as sort of the, the plucky 30s reporter. Uh, it, it works out. Again, uh, Jude Law's a mess uh, as far as how the character's written, but he's, you know... He's Jude Lawing his way through it as best as he can, tries to make a very unlikable person be Jude Law. You know, it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't, but that's what a movie is. And uh, for what it's uh, worth, at the end of the day, Sky Captain is a motion picture that people made. <laughs> it is a movie. Great review. <laughs> that was a review. <laughs> that's, that's one of them. It is made of movies. Opinions were said. <laughs> that's how I feel about Sky Captain. I have very milk toast opinions about this movie. Well, it looks there's cool robots. Like, yeah, I don't know what they resurrect. Lords Olivier. Choices are made. <laughs> All right. So, Arthur, what do you think of Art Deco Sentinels? Go. <laughs> Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, X-Men War. Um, Correct. I, uh, whew, um, 
uh, I think uh, I I appreciate the ideas here more than I like what comes to fruition mm-hmm. on screen. Um, I think it's wild to think about a time when a major studio released a uh, whatever this is. Um, I mean, it looks like it's uh, it's in the vein of the Rocketeer and yeah. uh, the Shadow and those movies, but it's based ori- on a completely original IP. This is a huge passion project from uh, Carrie Corin Conran. Can't think of his name. Conran. Uh, you, you're, you're definitely Conran, yeah. half of it, right? Yeah, yeah Carrie Conran, Conran yeah. Um, who kind of worked as a visual artist, had this idea for this movie, grew up on these 20s, 30s, 40s serials, pulp stories, comics. Um, and I think that passion really comes through. And there are a lot of th- really cool things here that come out. I mean, as you mentioned, that the visual aesthetic works really well. Yeah. The robots look cool. The ships look cool. The vehicles look cool. Uh, revisiting 30s New York looks cool. Uh, seeing the Wizard of Oz in contrast with that is a fun moment. Um, and so I, I like what this is, I think, more on paper than the way it comes across. Visually, I don't love that oversaturated, washed-out look. Mm. Um, but I think it's just more of a me thing. As my eyes have gotten worse, it's just kind of harder to really allow that to pop in a way that looks good. I mean, it's really soft. Yeah, yeah. I, mm-hmm. it's it's very... I don't think that's just you. It, it's I kind yeah. of decided I liked it, but yeah, yeah. I could ease it. Yeah. I understand. I mean, I understand why I do it. You know, that, that kind of shine look is a very old-fashioned camera technique anyway, so mm-hmm. I understand all of why it's done. But it just, for me, it's a personal thing, really. Sure. And it's not really a knock. It's maybe it's just something I, I was hard to kind of engage with at times. Um, and that being said, I, I, I really... Don't know that casting works here for me. Uh, I think Paltrow's good at moments. I think she has some really good scenes, some really good moments where she's playing off people. But Jude Law is just not a leading guy. I don't think. I think he's he works cast be- yeah, here. He's one of those I mean, handsome character actors, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's more of a supporting guy, a villain. Yeah. And I don't think he works as the leading. And playing against Paltrow, I don't think they really have a strong chemistry. I mean, I feel like a huge in- infusion of life shows up when Angelina Jolie shows up because she's playful, she's having fun, and she's just endlessly charismatic in comparison to, to the leads. Um, and so that's the thing. Uh, it's enjoyable. I, I like both of those actors. I just don't think they're the right choice here. No, I think you're right. It's a big part of why him being a jerk doesn't work. Their lack of chemistry makes the banter kind of fall yeah. flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing about Harrison Ford, whether he is Han or, or Indy. Right? I mean, there's just magnetic charisma of yeah. Harrison Ford sells that. And, and I don't think Jude has that, um, despite how good he is. Um, I always like seeing Giovanni Ribisi, even though he doesn't have much to do to here. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, again, uh, this is a thing that works really well on paper. I think it's cool to see something like this because we just don't see it anymore. Uh, major studios don't have faith to put this out unless it's an old man action movie or a horror film, which gets a little more room to do something unique. Uh, but to see these kind of like weird sci-fi, high fantasy spectacles that are not based on an existing IP just doesn't happen. You mentioned last week about Mars Attacks being a Netflix movie in 2022, and Sky Captain might be lucky to get that. Yeah. Very lucky to get that. It um, is very much its own thing. Yeah. I, there's nothing like it before or since. Yeah. So there's a lot to admire here, but it's it, it doesn't all come together in, in on, on the screen. Yeah, it's definitely a high-concept film. Oh, yeah. You know, for yeah. sure. And I, I think that's what I like about it. I mean, and really that is all I can say is that I like that it's a high-concept film. I like the way... Uh, that a, a particular aesthetic was chosen mm-hmm. and relentlessly pursued. We don't see that oftentimes. Oftentimes, we only have like these individual shots where, like, this is going to be the look of this movie, but really, we're only going to really see that in 
Well, I'm, I'm thinking about the first, you know, seven minutes of the movie Drive, um, Nicholas Winding Refn's mm-hmm. film, which has got all of that pink, all of that teal, all of that amber that is going to characterize the movie. But really, the movie, overwhelmingly not dominated by those colors. Yeah. It's just that we have those iconic scenes. This movie, on the other hand, and again, I'm not knocking Wendon's much better film (laughs) than this, uh, but this movie says, no, this is our aesthetic, and we are going to hit it every single shot of the film. The thing I keep thinking of is this very sort of picturesque image, a very uh, Superman serial of the yeah. all the three people pointing up mm-hmm. at the sky. Very sort of striking imagery. And, right, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that, that art deco, you know, sort of uh, set design. Yeah. Uh, classic 19, th- late 30s, you know, okay. which looks more like the 40s in many ways because, you know, transitions like this are all arbitrary. Uh, it looks very much like its moment in terms of costuming and then this particular aesthetic to sort of express its, again, Connection to the the 30s serial, but also just to, I think, really be its own self. I mean, to be very much a 2000 aughts film. Well, because it's got all of this sort of rudimentary early aughts CGI that, like, gives it this uncanniness, right? That it's this lost serial of, like, what if they had CGI in the 30s? Nothing else looks like this movie. Like, there's other movies that were made like this, like 300 and Sin City, which we'll talk about, but, like, nothing has this sort of weird. Slavish devotion to, like you said, just pursuing this this old aesthetic, right? And again, just I've I've just, I've just never seen somebody quite this obedient to that. These are my strictures. This is what I'm going to do, and I'm not going to relent in any way. And so, in that in that sense, it's absolutely achievement. Uh, I do think Gwyneth is good. I, I I agree with that. I do think Jude is badly cast, although I don't think he's bad. I, I honestly, yeah. I think it's, somebody shouldn't have hired him for that job. This is a really good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. And it makes sense for where he's at in his career at this point. Yeah, this is a bad year for him though. This he, the Jude Fever reaches critical mass. He's got six movies that dropped in two thousand and four, and that's well, never good for an actor. That just makes people not like looking at your face anymore. Yeah, it's too much saturation, yeah. overexposure. There. It happens. But uh, that being said, uh, he doesn't do badly with what he's got. It's sure. just, he's just not the guy to do that thing. Yeah. Um, but that all being said, I, I think everything else just it works fine i love the design and I, again i love just sort of the uh pre-production sort of design art of these again art deco st- sentinels i mean yeah get yeah. that for days i'm there for yeah. it so um aesthetically i like it plot wise i don't care it's super thin i totally forgot about all of it i literally watched this movie i think in like 2010 something like that so not that no. long ago and uh, i was like oh are there dinosaurs i don't remember the dinosaurs oh are there flying little um Thumper, you know, um, airplanes, air, 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 ornithopter kind of planes. Yeah, yeah very yeah. ornithopter. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess there are. I totally forgot. Yeah. So I mean, it does not hang on the mind, no. but it's very, very fun while you're doing it. It doesn't stick to the ribs, that's for sure. Yes. So there's our thoughts, dear listener. Um, let's move on though to a little exercise we like to call expanding the syllabus. Dalton, can you explain what that is all about? I sure will, Dustin. Uh, this is the part of the show where we deliver on our promise to talk about a movie you'd never discuss in a film studies course. Well. What if you did, though, is the question that we ask now at this portion of the show. What if why you, if you did? Yes, why? Why Why would you? It's Why what? would you go to an academic board and say, all right, listen up, scrubs, we're talking Sky Captain, and I don't care what you say. Uh, that's what we're going to do now. We're going to pretend that we're talking about Sky Captain in the world of tomorrow in an academic setting, and we'll try to build a class around this film, uh, whether that's a film studies course or a history class or any other number of of ways, lenses we could use to tackle any given movie. We, that's what we do here. We try to bring all sorts of different uh, views to the table uh, as far as how do you examine a movie. 
that's expanding the syllabus, right? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Oh, and, and of course, in expanding, we'll, we'll talk about other works that you should look at in tandem with this. There we go. That's the important part I probably yeah. should. Other books, other films. Yeah. So with that, Arthur, what other books or films do you bring to Sky Captain, and how would you teach it? Uh, I think I'd look at this focusing on that idea of the love letter through production and that kind of endless devotion to style and aesthetic uh, to get it on screen. Uh, and so I do want to throw back to last week's film, Mars Attacks. While not filmed in black or white, uh, I mean, almost everything else about this is very much a of the 50s uh, camp feature. Uh, it is set in modern times, but even Barely. the technology <laughs> that they're using, I mean, everything is out of time except for the setting of it. And so I think uh, that's kind of where we'd start to have this discussion of homage, maybe discuss pastiche, postmodern uh, stuff as well to kind of talk about those frameworks. Uh, from there, I want to jump into 2011's The Artist, the Academy Award-winning Best Picture. Uh, that looks like it walked out of uh, the 1920s or 30s uh, as a silent feature uh, from France. Uh, and endlessly, uh, I think, devoted to that style with that aspect, uh, the Academy ratio, uh, full silent, full black and white, uh, even uh, using, uh, I can't think of his name. Uh, Jean Dujardin. There it is. As Who has this very Clark Gable, uh, mm-hmm. Gene... I can't think of his name right now. Gene Kelly? There he is. Yeah. Uh, He's got a look. Look to him. Yeah. He looks like he walked out of that era. Uh, Bernadette Bejo also looks like she came out of that era. And so they easily uh, fill this weird, uncanny valleyness of... Yeah. It feels like I could have been watching this in the 30s. Um, I want to jump to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Nice. Uh, which is emulating probably more so Chinatown, as we've talked about before, rather than uh, the pure noir of, of the 40s. But... Um, adding in that technolo- technology of the animation, I think, is a fun kind of mesh with that that uh, style. Uh, then we got to talk about Ty West, who has kind of really focused on this in his career. We're going to do with House of the Devil, um, yeah. which yes. feels like it was shot in uh, the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, everything yeah. about it, a lot of camera visually. technique, yeah. yeah. That satanic panic theme. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything coming out of it. Even the release on VHS is a fun nod. Yeah, the clamshell uh, box they put yeah. out. Yeah. As a throwback, and then similarly is James Wan's *The Conjuring*. Uh, from the cinematography, the way it's shot, the way it's styled, uh, looks very much like a '70s movie uh, without really feeling like it's beating you over the head with that. It, it feels very um, earnest about what it's trying to do. Yeah, as this kind of throwback, but also feeling very modern in the same voice. Yeah, you're talking about something that's like a really cool thing to pull off, right? It's using film technique to sell that you're making a period film yeah almost. yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it, it takes it another level beyond just costuming and set yeah uh to visually be able to do it as well uh and that goes for our, our next couple of movies as well which are again warner brothers and that is the nice guy and i had to do it joker um both of <laughs> sure. which really do emulate the, their style that gritty 70s uh violent kind of new hollywood look and aesthetic very scorsese yeah yeah especially i mean obviously joker owes a lot to uh scorsese um but the nice guys also feels of that era um i want to go with a couple of horror movies to round this off and uh, one of them is the summer of 84 a little uh coming of age movie that's very stranger things-esque in a, in a way but is very much grounded in an 80s uh style of filmmaking i think and then finally the love which uh, which is kind of this technicolor 1969 gore fest type uh thing that really uses color and style to uh pop on screen and, and emulate that 1960s look of the the kind of campy horror of the time man that was a 
that was a, a name that rang out strong when it played festivals. Mm-hmm. Love Witch? Love Witch? Yeah. I still I, haven't got to it same. yet. Same. It's a blind spot for yeah, me, yeah. but I, I really want to catch up with it because it's, everybody that talks about it really likes it. I got a lot of movies, and Dalton's about to give you some more, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of movies always. So, Dalton, um, speaking of a lot of movies, what do you got? Uh, well, this this would be like a, a film as industry class, right? And, Dustin, I know there's some some great authors you can maybe reference when we, we get to expanding syllabus because I feel like we've talked about this subject before. And he's the only one that reads. Exactly. Well, that's sort of what I was getting at. <laughs> um, but I, I know we've talked about this on the show before, this, this idea that, you know, film is, of course, not just an art form. It is also an industry, especially when you're working within the Hollywood system. And so we would sort of look at this, uh, the, the tech night, the tech side of, of filmmaking and, you know, the, the technological element that sort of, again, the, one of the ways in which film is very much an, an industry is the way that technology drives so much of what's going on, right? This, this pursuit of more, this pursuit of bigger and louder and better. Um, and, and so we would look at where Sky Captain in the world of tomorrow is sort of situated in this history of using these digital backdrops to you know, bring to life uh, images that don't quite translate exactly the way you want them if you're not using something to sort of stylize your view. So we would talk about, of course, Sin City, which comes out the year after Sky Captain and is doing a lot of, Robert Rodriguez is doing a lot of this same backdrop, uh, digital backdrop stuff where it's, you know, maybe there's some physical elements to the set, but as far as everything you're seeing on screen except for the actors it's pretty much all being created digitally uh and then of course it's done by Zack snyder the next year with 300 uh and then uh tarsum uh i think that's his name that's just tarsum right Tar- Singh? sometimes he's just tarsum though tarsum oh, Singh. Yeah. sometimes yeah, yeah. just tarsum makes aware. that movie immortals in like 2011 uh it's also hmm. similarly yeah. uh digital backdrop film um and is there another one? Oh, i just also wanted to talk about Sort of again, we've mentioned the prequels already, and I've mentioned uh, the the volume is what they call it. This sort of LCD screen backdrop that they're using over at Lucasfilm to make those Star Wars TV shows. Mm-hmm. Sort of the next evolution of this instead of sort making of rear projection, <clears throat> yeah, rear projection meets screen. digital backlight. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. Which is a, a very clever idea to to use LCDs to again sort of take this old filmmaking technique that is rear projection and bring it into the 21st century. It's uh, make that that verisimilitude big word there for you um even greater which again it it just gets into how this medium of storytelling is so much driven by the same sorts of things that drive war making that drive uh, the car industry that drive i'm trying to think of things more benign uh but there's really nothing benign based on our current system of producing things Uh, but that's what's so interesting to me about film right it is it is this sort of world made up of a bunch of artsy fartsy people who uh, have a song in their heart but it is driven by cold hard cash and this sort of development of new technologies and that's what we look at in this class is how how film becomes an industry and the technological side of that and and how these advancements sort of change the sort of stories we're telling Mm -hmm. uh because again this now we're just talking about this is how they make marvel movies right uh i I mentioned the house of mouse already as far as the the star wars tv shows but all this stuff is yeah they put a couple of rocks on set and then the rest of it's a blue screen Mm -hmm. yeah uh and then everything else gets done in post they don't have to have everybody there on the same day come on it's yeah it's it is sort of the standard of the industry like filming a cartoon it is exactly that pretty weird and that is you know comes back to sky captain the world of tomorrow nobody had done it yet and you've got this carrie i want to keep wanting to call him kevin corrigan which is a, a character actor that i like a lot carrie uh, conron carrie conron thank you carrie conroy 
No, not that one. <laughs> not that character Kevin actor. <laughs> Too many Kevins. Uh, what about you guys are going to drive me nuts. I'm never going to lock in Carrie Conran because of this conversation. Um, he, was he... I, I did a little bit of research, but not enough. Wasn't he... You said he was a visual artist, right? Yeah, I think he worked at Disney for a brief period as a... What was it? I saw it in here. Much like Burton, who we uh, talked about last week. Yeah, a little bit. Um, it was in production. Carrie Conran grew up in comic books... Uh, he studied a feeder program for Disney animators at CalArts and became there interested to the computer animation. It's CalArts guy. There you go. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, it, it, is. It, it is that, those like you said, it's filming a cartoon. It's It takes those ideas from an, uh, animators and mm-hmm. gets them in with live action elements, which honestly kind of brings back, uh, your, your already mentioned, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Right, as far as these techniques. And that's, yep. you know, Bobby Zemeckis is so famous for uh, pushing yes. technology and, yeah. and what can you integrate into live action. It's pretty wild stuff when you think about it. Dustin. Yes, sir. How would you talk about Sky Captain in the world of tomorrow in an academic setting? Almost exactly like you would. Really? Okay. Except for I would go internationally. Interesting. Oh, he's okay. going to do it bigger and better than you. Yeah. No, I'm de- <laughs> I, so there is a rear projection predecessor mm. to the same kind of style. Okay. Also set during the World War II uh, era, mm-hmm. uh, directed by last week's filmmaker, Lars von Trier. I say well, last week's week before last because time travel and multiple records, but Melancholia, Lars von Trier, that guy, uh, Europa from 1991 uh, is a film that does similar kinds of things. Okay. It's got a uh, train heist and all kinds of what have you, but uh, very, very driven aesthetic, but uh, delivered through the medium since it's 91 of lots and lots and lots and lots of rear projection, heavily stylized, uh, in a way that I think really resonates similarly to uh, the film that we're in question today, uh, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. Now, uh, another example of this kind of filmmaking I think that's important is uh, the 2000 aughts Japanese samurai film, Goemon. Mm-hmm. Goemon is sort of a quasi-Robin Hood sort of folklore character in Japanese literature, and it's set during uh, the sort of Tokugawa era of samurai. So you got your samurais, you got your Robin, and it's like Moulin Rouge met a samurai movie with lots and lots of green screens. That sounds great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's actually like a whole bunch of fun. Yeah. So uh, I assume it's a song and dance movie because yeah. you invoked Moulin Rouge. There, well, <laughs> there is a significant dancing geisha sequence um, okay. early on in the film, but. And not a full musical. No, no, no. All right, all right. Nah, da- I got, unfortunately, I was no. like, Sam Ray no, musical had me high. I'm, for I'm a thinking sec. Baz Luhrmann's sort of glitzy look sure, is what I'm sure, thinking sure. about uh, more than the other. But there is a significant um, we love that. geisha dancing sequence. Uh, so there is that. But that, I think that movie's a lot of fun and definitely worth your time. Now, looking to American filmmakers working in the UK, quasi UK and Portugal, mm. uh, the Quay Brothers, uh, piano tuner of earthquakes is another important film that uh, does very, very similar sort of dependence on, again, green screen Mm -hmm. and imposed backgrounds and also their stop-motion animation to tell a story about perhaps fascism, uh, perhaps romance, a dark romance that's about fascism. Sounds like a Quay Brothers Maybe. movie, from it's what a, I know it, about it's them. A, it's a Quay Brothers movie. It's a feature-length film, 90 minutes. It's got real actors on top of the animated little you know uh dioramas they create so uh, a lot of that going on there but looking at some international expressions of the same kind of aesthetic uh showing that there are other possibilities besides oh you know 
stuff involving Frank Miller properties. I mean, it is sort of the the soup du jour of digital backlots in the the mid aughts is is really. It's so funny to me how long they spent trying to make a second Sin City movie. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. It's so when the second one comes out ten years later, it really does just feel like it. It should have come out the year after Three Hundred, right, and been done. Yeah. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got much longer. I believe now is the time we get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh. It's business. It's business time. That's right, dear friends. And that business is, as always, analysis. There was a word uttered, I think, last week when we were talking about this film. And the Hyper word. Objects? Hyper objects was not the word. We are not circling back to hyper objects. We (laughs) simply can't do it. Um, Blue screen is a hyper object. (laughs) Everything is evolution is a hyper object. Marvel is a hyper object. Marvel is a hyper object. Actually, shit, I think it is. (laughs) Okay, so we've got lots of ideas. Um, No, not that. Um, You called this movie Diesel Punk. I think you called it Diesel Punk. I think I did. I think Arthur did. Oh, Arthur called it Diesel Punk. Wrap up to pitch. There we go. So, um, what are the punks? Well, you, you got what, your, you what's got, the punks? You got your steampunks. What's the steampunk? You got your diesel punks. <laughs> well, what's a diesel punk? You got your atom punks. Is that different from a ray punk? And your cyberpunks, of course, sort of the best one. Uh, and how's that different from a cassette punk? This is the thing that's interesting to me, right? Because this, all of these aesthetics is what these the, the sort of mashup aesthetics of sort of retro futurism is what I, I think of when I think of you know obviously with steampunk these tend to be like the sort of retro future Victorian era. And the diesel punk is very much that interwar WW uh, between WW one and WW2. By the way, can we talk about how this movie's set in the thirties and they keep calling it the first world war? So fucking funny. Mm-hmm. Just a gut buster every time they do it for me. I don't know why that I find that so funny, but anytime they have uh, interwar, anything said the interwar period and people like allude to there being another one coming, coming up. up. Oh my God. So funny. Uh, but yeah, diesel bug is usually set place in that, that time period. You got a lot of, uh, what if scenarios for diesel punk usually a, d- a lot different, uh, world war one could have happened type things. The thing that's interesting to me is all these aesthetics aren't really as political as cyberpunk, which is like the politics of the cyberpunk storytelling is so much front and center of, of that aesthetic, right? Like it's so much a part of it. The punk is as important, if not more so than the cyber and with steam and diesel and all these other sort of aesthetic movements, it's not really there. Well, they, f- they feel more escapist, maybe more fantastical. Yeah. I well, think in a way that cyberpunk doesn't, yeah. cyberpunk, I think does tend to, Try to forecast mm-hmm. where we're going to go. Well, it runs or, more in the realm of the speculative. Or, yeah. yeah. And these are much more nostalgia-oriented, I feel I like. Think, yeah. And, and there, there's less stories in these different aesthetics, right? The, these sort of movements we're talking about really only exist as sort of art pieces. It's not like cyberpunk, which is, you know, ad infinitum properties that kind of, you could say, fit into that aesthetic. How many diesel punk things can you think of off the top of your head? I mean, where do we put League? Because that's, I mean, that's in that, right? I mean, that's one of probably the, ordinary well, Yeah, I would say it's Diesel Punk. Then it's Mortal Victorian Engines is kind of, I think, oh, in yeah. that realm. That's Diesel Punk for sure. Okay. But I mean, but to your point, there's still 5,000 Cyberpunk entries in contrast. What's the, yeah. the video game? Video? Video game. I What's like, the video game? Mm-hmm. Dishonored? Is that what it is? Oh, yeah. That one's sort there's of like punk, I think. That's like a whale punk, yeah, which is whale punk. whaling punk. Yeah. Whaling punk is my new. Bioshock is yeah, that's I don't sort know of where got, that it's exists. Art Deco sort of. 
I don't know what you would call that. I mean, it's objectivism nonsense. Is Batman the animated series in the first Tim Burton film, Diesel Punk? Wikipedia says it is. Really? Yeah. Now that's interesting. But I think it is that merger of Art Deco plus the technology of the Batmobile, the look of the Batmobile. Yeah. And that, I think outside of that, I mean, that's just Burton's aesthetic. Well, I'd call it Burton Punk. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's good. You're right, though, right? I, I think so much of this... this idea of diesel punk i think is wrapped up in art deco it's kind of hard to separate the two if if you're doing a thing with art deco aesthetics that has any element of science fiction it sort of becomes diesel punk by default because you're you're using the technology of the time which is very diesel engine oriented i think the punks also do exist more in the video game like i feel like that's a bigger mode or medium for so yeah Yeah. Help, help me wrap my brain around the punk versus the diesel I think and this the is cyber very good versus question. the punk. Again, that's what I'm saying. Isn't, that, yeah. isn't the punk kind of the futurism it, it, of it? Is the or, the, or is the, the punk the, the anti-establishmentness of it? The politics. I think is what you're suggesting. That's what I'm suggesting. Yeah, and I think Arthur's got a good point that just because these are sort of nostalgia oriented, they have less of that political bent than. And again, the cyberpunk being speculative in its nature, like Arthur was saying, that sort of forces you to take a political stance when you're positing what's going to happen economically or socially, right? Mm-hmm. You have sort of have to take a stand. And I guess you do take a political stand in sort of steampunk and dieselpunk by its very virtue. Uh, I, I, there's a lot of British empire fetishization going on in steampunk that i don't really care for yeah. Uh, yeah. for this exact reason right, right. And that, that sort Victorian of is its area. Own yeah. political stance but again i i, th- I think i think but the punk is perfunctory and stuff tend to love to critique it as well they love to like really? play with it and critique i mean that's my my, my general vibe i mean people I'll... just like throwing gears on top hats is what it came down to right? <laughs> <laughs> i think they like to wear top hats and canes well no top hats canes and corsets fun Misogyny and colonialism, less fun? so. Oh, okay. oh, no, no, not I didn't know fun. where you're going with it. No, not you can gears? never tell with him. Cool, <laughs> gears, cool. Colonialism, the machines that Maybe they use so the much. gears to make. You know what's not cool? The thanks. Oh God, what's Cotton it called? Gin? That was the <laughs> ah, the British machine gun. I can't think of what it's called. Uh, you don't know this off the top of your head either, Angus. It's <laughs> the Angus important. gun, <laughs> Maxim. The, the Thomas Max gun. That's it's the Thomas cute. gun. It's more proper than the Tommy gun. Yeah, no, the, the Maxim gun is what I was thinking of, which gotcha. is not cool. No, yeah, it sounds, no, it's not good. Yeah, it sounds bad. It was bad. It's a steam-powered machine gun. It is exactly that. that. That's the most it's awful re- idea ever. It's a real thing. Yeah, is there a little idea. furnace on it that they had to throw wood into? And uh, you just—it literally look. This is a real thing. If you pump water onto this thing, it'll shoot pretty much indefinitely. It's a terrible thing, and you can huh. you can ask all the the German boys who lie like in shallow graves all. in France about it. Well, you can't because they're dead. Well, exactly, and you, so, you can't ask. I think that was the point. All the I think nice... that was a rhetorical question. Oh, I, I, oh sorry, a rhetorical he, he, statement. He asked, I had to respond. Mm, you did. Yeah. <laughs> what are you a college kid? Uh, don't, okay, don't get me so, started on where they used the Maxim gun before World War One. So again, I want I want to just iron this out because I do think this is a sort of like important like bit of nomenclature just thrown around the discourse in general. Sure, but we are distinguishing the. Uh, adjective from the noun in the various punks. And we're saying the adjective has something to do with aesthetic and time period and whatever retrofuturism or future futurism mm-hmm. uh, we are dealing with. Yes. And then the punk edness of that is its way in which it pokes at establishment political values. Now, my then question getting back to Sky Captain of the World tomorrow, what political values, if any, are being poked at 
is this simply Diesel with no punk? I think it is, yeah, right? Because the British yeah. Empire shows up to save the day at the end of the movie. Right, Well, which is not Americans being the heroes, which is revisionist history, if we're going to use this as a World War II analog. Sure. But, I mean, the point's well made, though. I, I, yeah. I think you're right. But, you know, we have to nuance it a little bit yeah. here. Does Sky Captain have an allegiance? Well, he, they straight up say he's mercenary army, right? Like, yeah, that's just, his whole deal. He's big boss for Metal Gear Solid. He, has, he's got, he is without nation. Yeah, yeah he's he just built, has an army. He's built an Outer island. Haven, yeah, yeah. An, an army with no nation where vets can come and chill out and build machine guns, <laughs> which sounds pretty tight in theory. <laughs> You know, practice, practice so I don't know, Bomber man. jackets and making machine guns. I mean, yeah, that's just like a good time. Guys, it's my kind of club. Yeah, right? guys sitting around, uh, shooting the shit, trading dogfighting stories. <laughs> that sounds cool. And me and Giovanni Ravisi just coming up with new ideas of how to blow stuff Angelina up. Angelina yeah. Jolie's there. Uh, who they give, uh, you know, non, non-binary pronouns for, at first when he's being vague about who Frankie, Frankie. is. Yeah. At first I thought, whoa, they're going to double down on this in 2004? That's sick. No, they didn't, but because he's just hiding from her that it's a, yeah. a, a possible love interest. I, she is so queer coded in this movie, though. A little bit. I mean, come on. Uh, but intentionally is the question I have to ask. Is it intentional? Uh, I don't know. Good question. I don't. Know. Is it just Angelina Jolie in an eye patch that does that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 I'm genuinely asking the question. Uh, I, I don't know. Good question. Yeah. Frankie Punk. Frankie, Frankie Punk. punk. Oh, Frankie is punk. You know. Okay. Frankie is punk. Sort <laughs> you know, of. Let's give it. Yeah, we'll give it a little bit of punk. credit where credit's due. She yeah. is a badass. The uh, the jetpack uh, or the the uh, submarine airplane ejector seat into jetpack yeah. combo good good bit great bit right there's yeah. some cool stuff in this movie there is but going back to the case does it have a politics we're gonna go with if it does it's like bad patriarchal gender politics with occasional little it's toe dabbling yeah, in possible queer politics the only thing that'll save you from a bad guy with big evil robots is a good guy with airplanes. The analogy sort of is sort of do bad guy with the gun, good guy with the gun thing uh, there. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I was know. making sure everybody was on board. <laughs> but that's sort of what its politics are, yeah. right? It's just like, well, all you need is these cool guys with their cool toys to stop the evil guy with his evil toys. Yeah. You know, and I think that's pretty much the, the start and finish of its politics. It is it is very surface as far as what it's doing. And that's, you know, to its... As I've said this many times on the show. If you don't say anything, you do end up saying something. And yeah. that's it sort of tacitly endorses the British Empire by uh, letting them be the good guys. And, and general material um, militarism, yeah. the arms race kind of stuff. Which know? is I mean, a factor yeah. of the, that's you know part of the 30s. Like it's it's sort of well, baked even, in. I mean the whole, I mean yeah, Sky Captain's whole thing for even trying to go after this guy is just what Dex got kidnapped. Yeah. And there's not oh, even yeah. like a threat of a world I mean Yes, the world's going to be incinerated, but they don't even know that going in. There's like, my friend was stolen. That's I his whole motivation. Friend. I need yeah. to go get him. So, I mean, it, it doesn't even feel like global on that level. It's an odd... I mean, do people outside of New York... I mean, obviously, they wouldn't know. Twitter wasn't a thing, right? <laughs> the news wasn't a thing. So well, it's yeah, like, they, they say, yeah, they say that there have been other uh, robot robberies okay. or whatever. Oh, yeah. Robo robberies. <laughs> robo robberies. It is a pretty cool idea to use an army of robots to seal me- me- mechanized uh, yeah. machines yeah, for you. From there we my go. cave. Machine shop. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> what are the politics of uh, uh, resurrecting Lawrence Olivier? Uh, right? And that's another like thing that uh, nobody had done before that now gets done all the time, right? <laughs> Very weird. Hi, Harold Ramis. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Carrie Fisher. Hello to everyone. All of all of our dead friends who have come back via computers. Oof. I mean, Oof. well, I mean, Bazan made that argument that that's what film was in the first place, anyway. Uh, really? Yeah. It's bringing back the dead. I'm going to donate my body to Hollywood rather than science. <laughs> 
harvest my image. Yeah, put me in the, put my corpse in jackass five ever. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I, that, that, I think that sort of answers some of the politics questions there. Now, the next thing I want to think about is a formalist question, which is just regarding narrative shape. And I know Arthur is very interested in this kind of idea, the three act structure, five act structure, however you might go about. <laughs> yes. Putting twenty together, act structure, <laughs> multiple act structure with a serial. It feels like this is a serial yeah. and not a very good full-length film. Uh, Dalton and I were actually talking about that off-screen off before you got here. Uh, I was mentioning that it felt very serialized. There are a lot of natural kind of cliffhanger moments where mm-hmm. you could easily adjust this. Because I, I was telling him I think this would work much better as just like a 30-minute show on Netflix or Prime, right? It's just 30 minutes. Here's your little adventure for the week with Sky Captain getting into it again. Uh, but there's that break... Um, when the plane goes into the water and they think they're going to drown, it's kind of a very natural moment to cliffhang on. Uh, when Dex gets kidnapped is another one. Uh, when the mine explodes in Tibet and then they, you know, the next episode is them waking up in bed. Like there are like several natural moments in here, which feel very episodic uh, in nature rather than containing a straight through narrative arc that we might be more familiar with. So yeah, that was something I was picking up on while we were wa- while I was watching it. And I do think that's part of what we might attribute its lack of success because I do think in terms of star powder, Jude Law is a great star at that time. Uh, yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow is a big star at that time. Um, Giovanni Ribisi's got some cred. You know, they're all sort of like at a very gettable level, right? None of them have kind of crested over into being household names yet, but they're all like, yeah, they're all been in some stuff. Mm -hmm. Because this is mostly independently financed until uh, it gets picked up by whoever it was. Paramount's distribution. Well, that's that's who distribution was for streaming. Angelina. You know, I mean that's oh, probably yeah. the biggest. Well, yeah. she is their biggest because yeah. they only she's have coming her off a Tomb Raider. And yeah. she's there three days. Three days. Yeah. So I mean, Lawrence Olivia may be the biggest, but he's dead. <laughs> Fair. So. Such a weird. But they bury the lead on that one. They Hey-o. sure do. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I wasn't making a joke. Yeah, you're gonna take it though. It's a funny uh, one. Okay. You take your comedy points and you're gonna like it. <laughs> okay. Um, but no, my rolling my, over in his grave. <laughs> but my point is, I think it does have uh, sort of an initial attractability until you see it. And then it's boring, disjointed, mm-hmm. yeah. and otherwise kind of forgettable. That there are these sort of 90 to, tw- or not 90, 30 to 20 minute little chunks that are good chunks. Yeah. And like yeah. you said, uh, a Netflix series, you know, six episode, 30 minute series, I think actually would be perfect for this design. Yeah. Because formally it, just, it lends itself to, because I'm thinking about Star Wars. Sure. Which is sort of a Flash Gordon yeah. all over again, right? Mm-hmm. And that Star Wars works because it is a full regular three-act structure mm-hmm. with Flash Gordon characters, yes. Flash Gordon set pieces, yeah. but it is itself a three-act film. Yeah. This is not. No. I don't know what this is. It's a series of things that happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for all intents and purposes. I mean, you could beef up any of these segments and turn it into an episode pretty easily with a B plot or something. They, but they go to Shangri La for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Just you know There's the weird mutant guy? Yeah. I don't know. That was a thing. Yeah, escaped did, uh, they, did they kill him? Did he kill him? Oh yeah. He, he did. put him down. He absolutely did. Yeah. Sky, Sky Captain's Captain the kind is of guy a murderer. <laughs> He's a mercenary. Yeah. He literally kills people for money. Of course he killed that guy who said please did he kill get paid? Me. No, I think he did that one from the heart. <laughs> yeah. But it is weird though. You know, yeah, murder from the heart though is still from the heart. That's right. <laughs> This this island of Doctor Moreau guy shows up though, and it's just like, what is, <laughs> what, what was Doctor Toten Totenkoff's robots up to? Because that's the Good reveal. Name. 
Totenkopf is a great name. Yeah, great it's like bad a German guy pharaoh. Yeah, very scary. It's like you carry a cough in your briefcase. Totenkopf. In your Totenkopf. What? Speaking of, I, I wanted to circle back to. I know we're we're talking about the structure of this weird little movie, but right. I do want to circle back to the politics because Arthur said there's a little Thanos and Totenkopf, and let's talk about Totenkopf's politics a little bit because he is sort of the only one with the stated ideology, right? Mm-hmm. Oh. Only villains have ideology. That's what we learn. Yeah, it's true. Dustin, you just said something that I find very interesting, that only villains have an ideology. In this film. Ideology. Well, I think a lot of films that that holds true. I think that's not inaccurate. Yeah. Yeah, that's You're really tickling my brain with that one. Good job. Uh, Let's talk about what that means for this movie, and I guess villains writ large. Well, I mean, obviously he's got a broken ideology that does make, in some sort of Thanos kind of way, mathematical kind of sense. But... That idea of if you get too intellectual, you think too much. It is general anti-intellectualism. And again, villains are always super geniuses. Mm -hmm. Scientists gone bad, Mm -hmm. right? Maniacal military leaders who are all trained at Cambridge or, you know, or the other Cambridge, Harvard. Mm -hmm. uh, That they were... (laughs) Right? Uh, yeah. yeah. They're all either MI6 or CIA. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. and, and Or then, evil scientists. And yeah. Evil scientists. And the, the, they rise to their power because they have, again, clear, consistent thought processes. Yeah. And the other cl- guy just has a cool shield and is like, don't do that. Don't do that. Because, yeah, there's, where I come from, there's a right and wrong, and you don't violate the wrong. Whatever He's, it happens to Is that like. what they talk like in uh, Brooklyn? They talk like that in um, South Brooklyn, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just still picturing Steve Rogers talking like he's from like Mississippi. From, well, I can do this all day, ma'am. I, I, I was doing more East Texas, but all right. Sure, okay, um, okay. That's uh, fair. Nonetheless, uh, the idea, though, is that consistency and that kind of intellectual rigor is mm-hmm. what leads to madness, which might, again, diagnose some of our contemporary anti-intellectualism in general. Sure. Sure, I think that's a good point. Because all he's getting at really is that the militarism that led to World War One was bad. That's sort of his whole deal, um, which is not a wrong. He's point. not wrong. Not an inaccurate point for you anybody to make. Throw in some religious fervor, and here we are. And no. yeah, that rather than properly starting over, yeah, um, yeah, we could start over by doing it better next time. Weird guy, learning from our mistakes again. There's there's some broken stuff there with his logics, but that all yeah. being said, ideology as the only thing possessed by villains is. Thing. Sorry, I just started laughing because I remembered that the, the whole plot is that he had an army of robots build an ark for him. <laughs> yes. Hey, it's, uh, that's the way to do labor, I guess. Two by two. Well, you know, and I, I do like, I do appreciate that he takes not just the cute part of the Genesis 6, 7, and 8 story, and also takes the we must destroy everyone <laughs> part of it as well. Um, so that's kind of fun. Well, yeah. I think he's he 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 had isolated the problem with man, which was man. <laughs> well, there's Turns some, out, yeah, there is something sort of diagnosed in by the film, right? That is this war making makes more war, right? Like what Tonkoff is stealing is the machinery of, of of nations, right? He's stealing their war making ability so he can make his doomsday device. It is sort of an interesting observation about the interwar period. There's a fancy word for it, but I can't remember what it is. Yeah, no, that either. that couple of decades between the two, the two big ones. Yeah, there's some fancy like antebellum for the, the Civil War. Yeah, yeah I've just heard mm, interwar yeah. is all I've ever heard. But yeah, yeah I sure think there's, there's a, a, a fancier word for it, but I, interwar is the only one I know. Uh, but it, it sort of does interestingly diagnose that, that very real thing going on throughout the the 20s and 30s is 
everybody's gearing up for the next one. Mm-hmm. And like, it sort of is, I, I, I don't know. I, I sure would like to go visit that 20 year period when nobody knows that another war is coming just yet and see if people felt like another one was coming or if, or they, if really... they were just all sighing in relief. Yeah. Is, did it really feel like the end of all Man, war? I don't want to do that again. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> well, the twenties, I mean, the twenties were like sort of like eat, drink and be merry That's for tomorrow true. we die kind of thing. And then we had the great depression. in yeah. the thirties. So and we like, did all die. <laughs> and we did kind of all die of starvation. Yeah. Unless you, well, I guess some of the bankers Rickets. died too. Because you know they threw themselves <laughs> off their banks. It's a bad time. <laughs> I don't know. That second thing sounds pretty cool. <laughs> not uh, the rickets. Dying of rickets sounds horrible. We are we're not pro rickets. We are pro bankers. <laughs> <laughs> deciding to not be bankers anymore. <laughs> Making a self deposit. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, I, uh, this I episode's know. going off the rails, and I love it. <laughs> Oh, we've man. we've we've gone okay. toting cough. I, I have one last <laughs> question to ask of perhaps discussion orientation. The 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 head of Lawrence Olivier. It's yeah, it's we reminiscent really of a film. It. How's that? It's reminiscent of a film. The one called, that was played at the, the, one was of the played at the beginning of the movie. Oh, a film. Yeah, okay. the man behind the curtain. The yeah. man behind the curtain. Um, so. If you watch this film and did not make the connection, dear listener, there seems to be that Oz the Great and Powerful seems to be Dr. Tottenkoffin, whatever his name, Tutankoffin. Uh, Tutankoffin. Tootin' in the coffin. Tootin' in the coffin. <laughs> That's what it sounded like you said. Oh, my. Uh, and The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Okay, so if we say that that connection is intentional and it means something, what we what would we then say it means? Go. Uh, I think it just says that Carrie Cornyn. Did I get it right? Nope. Carrie Conan? No. Cornyn? Conan O'Brien. Cornyn. Is Thank it Cornyn? You. Kevin Conroy O'Brien. back here. We've just been having too much fun with this guy's name. Conran. Conran. Carrie Conran likes the 30s, is really what it says to me. I don't, I don't know that it's any deeper than that. And I, I think that's kind I, of our beef with this movie uh, as a whole, is there's just not... It's a very thin movie. I think there's a metatextual thing going on, right? We look back at The Wizard of Oz, which, is, again, is a very technologically advanced movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that is just kind of another nod to that. It feels more maybe metatextual in its yeah. implementation rather than having anything deeper to say. Well, I, I wondered because I thought to myself that perhaps the man behind the curtain actually has some teeth even though he's already dead. Mm. Um, because I was thinking about the whole idea of villains and ideology. The The issue in, of course, Wizard of Oz is that he's just some shyster from Kansas, yeah. you know. And uh, that's the or Nebraska seems like more likely than Kansas. Yeah, yeah probably. I don't remember, I don't remember Real that. Nebraska vibes from uh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't you? I mean, don't you smell don't the Lincoln trust on anybody him? From the Nebraska. Lincoln. <laughs> but anyway, is I, that is that our new stance on the show? Is Nebraska's no, our new enemy? There's anti Ricketts, anti Nebraska. There's something in the books. He's from Nebraska. I, anyway, I just have a memory of him not being from actually Kansas, but that doesn't even matter. The point is. He uh, he's a fake, right? Yeah, that's the idea yeah. there. In this case, it's not that he's a fake; it's that he's dead. But he's already put all this stuff in motion. Mm-hmm. That if we even just we we have to do more than simply just stop. There's going to have to be some active dismantling mm. of the existing system because there is a way in which the projection does continue to hold power, that it does an anti-Oz message there, that we need to pay attention to all those men behind the curtains, even those who are behind the veil of death already, and that 
active dismantlement might be required in order to prevent some of this disastrous okay. ramifications. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. That's, that's the closest I could. I, I, no, you're, I did, I think I you're some into something. gymnastics trying to <laughs> you, get here. You are doing a lot of, we've gone a long well, walk around the block, is, but I like where we've ended up. I mean, there's a little bit of this if you go to Iron Man 3, right? That whole idea of Trevor Slatterly as the Mandarin, this kind of mm-hmm. facade built by... Aldrich Killian, or yeah. Guy Pierce's Pierce. character, yeah. um, who is kind of in that idea, like, I can create this thing, this image, to have this message, and it is that man behind the curtain that is pulling the strings that is of danger mm-hmm. to us. All right. So, okay. Well. Yeah, no, I like I like this idea that the, the boogeymen continue to boogie uh, after, after their demise. After they've boogied. Yeah. Never forget that, uh, you know, we got to the moon with V2 rockets. You know what I mean? I hate to be on my deathbed thinking... Did I turn that death rocket off? (laughs) Forgive me. Oh, did I turn off my doomsday robots? (laughs) Oh, Oh, I changed my mind about my whole destroy the world thing. Oh, Oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, no. I'm too weak to get to the off switch. It is sort of of a fun reveal, I I will say. It is fun, yeah. I mean, it's kind of, I think, where, where we're at with this movie as a whole, and this is a good segue into what we should do with this movie. But it feels like it's a lot of fun bits that don't really mean anything. But one of my favorite fun bits is that the bad guy's already dead. Yeah. Pretty funny stuff. It is good stuff. So with that, shell for trash, Arthur, what do you say? You know, I think I would very, very gently and lightly place it on the shelf. I think there's just something very interesting about it, kind of a relic in a, in a way in, in, in time and space and what it represents mm-hmm. and what it did. I think... Uh, there's a lot to that, and so I don't know. There's just something here interesting of study. I think, if nothing else, and so I think I would put it more on the shelf as more of an oddity to be studied rather than to enter. I mean, there's entertainment to it, but I think that's kind of where I'm coming from with it. Fair enough. Fair enough. What do you say, Dalton? I am not going to trash it because I wouldn't take it away from anybody. I see why this has kind of become a cult artifact. Like I see why people like this movie and are defending it and saying you should go back and revisit this one. Yeah, I don't. I don't love it, but I think Arthur's right. I think, like historically speaking, as we've talked about, it's really interesting. And again, there as there's nothing like it. It is, you know, and, we, and that's sort of a, a, a feature that we love here on this show. Is if a movie is sort of singular in its its weirdness, that that gives you a lot of points. And and I think all of our books. And yeah, I'm on board for that. But I, I think it's perfectly fine on streaming services, which is you know, it's it's easy to get right now. And that's probably a fine place for it to be. It's a Saturday afternoon uh, Hulu watch. Very good, very good. Well, you had me at singular weirdness, guys. I mean, you guys know me. Yeah, and sure. So, I mean, although we discussed my unpredictability in shelving, um, this is one I'd shelf. I mean, yeah, that's just, just yeah. The movie he said was completely forgettable is it, going on the it, shelf. He's, the, you can't ever figure it out with this guy. Check. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I still have remained unpredictable. It yeah. is, it is totally forgettable, but I think it's worth looking at some scenes of it. Yeah, yeah, it does look cool as hell. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's oh just yeah, great. I, I can't run you through the plot of Piano Tuner of Earthquakes either. You know, honestly, I just know it's like obsession and kidnapping and piano tuning. But I don't know. I think to. a lot about Metropolis. Like, you know, a movie we kind of talked about ad nauseum yeah. is it's all about the visual, right? I I, I don't remember. I mean, I can kind no. of remember Metropolis because we just talked about it recently. But in a year, I don't know if I remember the plot for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think you're right to invoke Metropolis, and not just because of the 30s stuff, although a little bit because of that. Yeah. yeah. Man, this movie does look cool. It is fun. I'm thinking about the image of the robots again, They're flying so, over the I city. I think I like the Doomsday Robots more. I like that like weird half-body thing that they have going on. Oh, yeah. oh with like the squiggly limbs? Yeah. Even those robots? The later well, the ones at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And this they have like a little domed cap bottom on them instead of yeah. like having giant, you know... Iron Giant. There's a lot of cool, weird-looking robots in this there movie. Are. There are great, great mechanics in this thing, yeah. 
All right, well, there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts on the film. Uh, we'd like to know your thoughts on this film and other films, and you can do that via the magical means of social media. Dalton, say the word. You got it. You can email us, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. That's the name of this show, at gmail.com. Uh, all your long-form feedback, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to see it. Put it in our eyeballs. Thank you so much. Uh, if you're on Twitter, uh, I'm so sorry, but you should also give us a follow if you're already there. That's at goodtrashmedia if you want to see what we're up to, see the posts to the show, things we we found interesting that we want to share uh, we try to think of ourselves as a good follow we're not going to clog your timeline that's for sure uh once again if you want to follow us on the socials it's at good trash media on twitter uh last but certainly not least if you want to help us keep the lights on uh you can find us over at patreon patreon.com forward slash gtm uh, you know we're not making any bonus content right now but there's a back catalog for you to peruse and uh, we are sending out physical discs for you to have he will put your taste through the Arthurtron 5000, and he'll spit out a movie recommendation for you. And In fact, he'll send it on over to your house. You don't even have to get it yourself. Um, it's a cool deal. I just enjoyed one that uh, Arthur sent my, my lovely wife, who uh, can't insist on giving us money so she can pick a movie uh, each year. Uh, we got The Burbs. Uh, she likes Tom Hanks. What a good Tom Hanks movie. It's so what a classic Tom Hanks movie. The Burbs. Yeah, I for- totally forgot this is a Joe Dante joint. It makes sense as soon as it it's, starts unrolling. You're like, yeah, this is a Joe Dante movie. Absolutely. This is a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a fun movie. Weird, weird picture. So, yeah, if you want to get weird stuff sent to you, uh, you should find us. Patreon.com forward slash GTM. We're going to keep talking science fiction for a couple more weeks because uh, why wouldn't we? Uh, I don't know. Let's do two months of it. It was just, why not? Seemed like a good idea. Let's it, go it wild. Seems like a great does, idea. Does it still feel like a good idea? We're pretty much we're halfway through our. Uh, we've done our anti-trash science fiction. We're halfway through trash science fiction. How do we feel? Great idea to do two months of it. Well, I'm going to tell you the next movie we're going to watch. Well, I do. Ar- if it's a good, idea. I do already know what it is. But go ahead and tell me because we're going to go back to space. Yeah. Okay. And attempt to outrun the monsters as we go in all in on Vin Diesel's first major starring role. Yeah, baby. When things get pitch black. Yeah, nice. before he was a family man, he was <laughs> ready. <laughs> the new metal superhero everybody loved in the the early aughts. I I can't wait. I new love new metal superhero. Exactly. Oh my god. Yeah. Yes. Didn't I nail it? I love oh, how much Vin Diesel loves that's, Riddick. That's perfect. I w- I'll never make something I like as much as Vin Diesel <laughs> likes Riddick. That rules. Yeah, and I like it too. So well, yeah. there you go ahead. I was just gonna say, do you think in twenty years we're gonna be talking about Prius Punk? Prius uh, punk. Solar Punk is a thing. Solar. Is it? Oh yeah. That's 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 a movement, baby. Yeah. I like hope an so. Aesthetic. Uh yeah, I mean I think an idea, an idea too. I mean I think it's something people. Do they want. stick some solar panels on a blimp? Like what are we doing here? I mean, <laughs> give me a now, dirigible with I, I solar w- panels. <laughs> I will remind you that Ryan Johnson's Looper has cars with solar panels on them, and then they're like wires going into the gas tank. Do you guys remember this from Looper? Really. One of my favorite images from that movie. Which seems like that would be a recipe for explosion. Well, maybe, but it's a cool it's idea. All that heat going to the gas yeah. tank. Well, you're running electricity. <laughs> well, in the gas. Presumably, I mean, it's been retrofitted with a battery, and there's not gas in there anymore. I hope so. <laughs> Presumably, <laughs> this seems deadly. I sure hope there's going to be a solar punk. You know, fingers I crossed. More. But uh, next week we got to talk about monster punk. So that's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is about punk now. More uh, diesel punk. More <laughs> 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 diesel punk. You keep watching. We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.